Hi, this is Fast Tackle from Canon.art. We're a pseudonymous collective facilitating the growth of Web3 art. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast that's showing you what's growing in every season of Web3. Stay tuned. Hi, NFT Curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode to learn how Canon.art is making waves in the art community, combining top-tier art industry players with Web3. And what our guests today would do with a hyper-personalized AI assistant. And finally, how Y Whales, a community-based firm, is revolutionizing the world of commerce through a metaverse trade show concept called Y1. And before we go, don't forget that our Outer Edge LA event recently returns to Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. Did you know you can catch up on all the discussions, presentations, and more by just heading over to watch.outeredge.live and registering with only your email address? You'll have access to over 60 captivating conversations and performances. Binge watchers are welcome. Netflix, watch out. See you inside. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Fast Tackle from Canon.art, a platform that builds protocols and products that align the incentives of the artists and collectors. Canon is a pseudonymous collective of institutional art, design, and crypto-native technology professionals dedicated to building enduring practices and protocols for the art of the next 100 years. Fast, welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here and great to be here with all of you. Yes. And for the listener, we did mention that word pseudonymous previously. So Fast is, is joining us. You can check him out on YouTube as a small green dinosaur <laughs> in a kind of cool sort of uh, desert background. <laughs> a levitating dinosaur at that. So for those that are driving or working out while they're listening to this podcast, please do not endanger yourself. Just visualize this. There you go. I get jiggly as well when I get excited. Perfect. Well, you're going to get excited. <laughs> uh, so we're looking forward to some jiggles. All right. Well, Canon.art, it's an artist collective, utilizes blockchain tech and Web3 community. So maybe you can tell us about the project and when you became a part of it. Yeah, of course. So let's see, it was February 2021. I had been collecting for maybe about three or four months before that. So around December 2020, I collected Dead Mouse's first NFT. And I started getting into NFTs. And then I also had a friend, OX Animus, who unfortunately couldn't join us uh, today. He actually used to work for one of the largest art institutions in the world. Both of us had been sort of doing DGEN stuff for three or four, no, actually five years before that. And we both started getting into NFTs and we got together and we we're like, hey, you know, we should do, we should do something. And it all came together within like the space of three weeks. It was an incredible whirlwind. But we thought, look, we should get a collection together of NFTs from, because through OX's network, get access to some of the most incredible artists in the world, in the traditional world. And I had started to build a network in the sort of the crypto digital native world. And we're like, look, let's put together a collection. He said, look, my institution might be interested. 
they were interested. We were like, holy smokes, this is the biggest institution in the world is going to launch a collection. We sat down with them and they said, yeah, this is awesome. We want to do this. And this was February at the time. We want to do this. How does like August sound like a launch day? And we're like, what are you talking about? It needs to launch in two weeks. And so walked out of there and we're like, oh, I don't know about this. And then we're like, you know, maybe we should just do this ourselves. I mean, we know the people, we know the artists, we know the curators. Can we use uh, four letter words or do we keep it like PG-13 here on this uh, podcast? Yeah, you can use PG-13 plus words if you like. You can just have to know that they will all be overdubbed with the word holy moly. I can go the, fl- yeah, I can live with the flounders. No, that, so what's in the Flanders uh, overlay? That's totally fine. Yeah, so we were just like, you know, fuck it. We've got what we need. Let's do it. So we did it. We launched the K21 collection. We've included so far 20 artists. And this is the other thing as well. I was like, there's this meme that Elon Musk posted that had this banner. It said, we don't do this because it's easy. We do this because we thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> and so we thought we're going to get this thing done. Well, we launched it in three weeks. We're going to get this thing done in two months. And uh, two years down the line, we sort of started realizing all the opportunities that are there. So now we're almost done. 20 artworks, we're going to do 21. Psycho Chang's artwork is number 20. It's certainly one of the most uh, resource intensive to pull off. Sorry, that was a long explanation, but I can we're basically working with artists, both in the crypto native space and also in the traditional space. And we're very picky about the artists that we work with. And they have some vision that we think needs to be brought in. And then we help them we help them make that a reality. And in terms of canon, we're kind of like a fight club because I'm not from a curatorial side. I can say these things. The curators would probably be uh, horrified that I say it. It's kind of like a fight club. I don't know if you remember that scene where people are walking around sort of like in their normal jobs. And the number one rule is you don't talk about a fight club, but people sort of recognize each other because they've got like marks or whatever, black eyes. So, you know, people are trying to figure out who are these curators? Who are they in actual real life? So they're walking around there with two lives with us at Canon doing the stuff that they can't do and their traditional personas and institutions. But at the same time, they're incredibly experienced in real life. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. There's so much that we could unpack there. And I think what stands out to me is a couple things. One, you using the dropping the four letter bombs feels like normal because I just came from VCon where Gary V was, drop, was dropping those like no tomorrow. And then I also interviewed Nate Alex, aka founder of Chain Faces over there. Yeah, there's a, it feels like there's a little bit of that in, in what you're saying here. I mean, for those that don't know Chain Faces, shame on you. But there's a bit of a fight club mystique to that project where there's a battle royale and you got these scars on your NFT and your NFTs could die if you lost a fight. So appreciate sort of the traditional roots of what you're building there in terms of getting to our carnal instincts and, and sort of, I think that's the essence of DGEN, right? But that said, you guys are building some really cool stuff. And one of those things is, I'm going to butcher the word, but uh, Kaigao Chong and the EET Oracle Project, those are both on your roadmap and would love to hear a little bit more about them because they converge with some of our favorite topics like AI. Yeah, fabulous. So yeah, so the artist, I also... I had to learn this 12 months ago when I started working on this. So the artist, his name's Psycho Chang. And again, because I'm not from an art background, my background is in software and finance. And I sort of, sort of fell into this through doing DGEN stuff on the both DeFi and, and NFT side. But in any case, so Psycho Chang, as I came to learn 12 months ago, 
and again, I can say this because I'm not from this world, from this traditional art world. I'd say he's probably one of the top five living artists in the world at the moment. So he's had a career since I think he really started to hit his stride in the 90s. Um, he was the visual director for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. So that you know, is an absolutely massive event. What he's most famous for is gunpowder. So he'll use gunpowder both on canvas and he'll also use gunpowder in these just absolutely massive sort of in-person events. Josh, would it be okay to show a video? I could talk about it. <laughs> It'd be faster, like in two minutes, just sort of get a sense of the scale, right? Yeah, we. Uh, you gave us the link. Let's pull it up here. What were you going to say, Josh? Yeah, while well, I was doing that, like, by the way, my girlfriend has purchased a handful of NFTs in her life. One being Tom Brady for me, some other special projects. And one was this gentleman's fireworks project, which is one of her favorite. Really? That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So this fireworks project that he did is absolutely incredible. And it's one of the first dynamic NFT projects, to my knowledge. And his girlfriend approved. So let's check this out. <laughs> Contemporary artists are playing on the big stage. I remember hearing about the explosion events and thinking, that guy really nailed it. Size first really big show. This combination of space and scale and invention, I saw it. It was clear to me that Side arrived. That was the moment. To say that the Chinese artist Sai Kuo-shang has exploded on the contemporary art scene is no exaggeration. He is really turning the idea of what art is on his head. And if you go as far as him, how do you challenge yourself? Early work has begun on the largest single installation ever commissioned. His work does have a strong subtext. He is trying to do art with integrity. Okay, very cool. And by the way, for the listener there or the viewer on YouTube, you may have got a cut there. We'll see if we were able to share this. It's actually, so I don't know, we didn't preface it too much, but that was a Netflix promotional video for Skyladder, official trailer there, which I don't know that they would necessarily mind us sharing, but also a lot of it is in a different language too. So <laughs> might not come across perfectly on the podcast, but what we can do is we can definitely recap the video. Very inspiring, clearly on a highly 
professional level in terms of artistry and what an artist can achieve and what they can aim for. And he's clearly impressing a lot of people with what he aims to achieve and kind of communicate through his art, right? That's exactly right. He said also just the scale of these things is absolutely immense. And the amount of resources as well to go and execution that's required to pull these things off, like this Skyladder, they don't show it in the document because I guess they're literally trying to tease you into going and seeing the documentary, which I would highly recommend people do. It's absolutely mind-blowing. If you look up Skyladder just on the internet or whatever, you'll see an image. It's a ladder of fire that goes up into the sky, 500 meters into the sky. So it's absolutely massive. And he had this dream for like 23, 24 years to do it, four failed attempts. And the documentary is sort of covers that arduous journey. So all the while, he's like building up this incredible career over those 23 years. But there was like that one thing he did in 2016. That was the one thing that, you know, was just obsessed with was getting the And it's just like the amount of energy and drive that Sai has really is insane. Also in person, absolutely lovely guy with an incredible sense of humor. Very, very warm. He doesn't speak English. So there's always, always somebody translating for you. But that's one of, been also one of the most exciting things is working directly with him to, to create EET. Yeah, I mean, definitely breaking a lot of boundaries and working with a pioneer who's been an innovator his entire career, right? So it's a really special collaboration. And just to sort of put a pen in it for our listeners, I mean, what we're talking about with ET is an AI augmented fortune telling on the blockchain featuring the first ever on-chain generated gifts. So this is quite special. And I'm actually curious, why did you choose to work with an AI oracle to produce this? This was size vision. As I mentioned, I started working on this 12 months ago, but the Canon team had been working with Sai for an additional six months. So this has been in the works for about 18 months. And Sai, throughout his work, Sai developed like a very personal philosophy about unseen forces around us. And this is something that took me a lot of time. Because you know, I used to be an M&A banker, right? And a software product developer. So this took, took me a while to wrap my, my head around it. Size has like a very personal philosophy that he's developed through his life about how to commune or how to like interact with what he calls the unseen world. So there are these unseen forces that are around us. It's very different to sort of like the materialist view that we have in the West. And he deeply, deeply believes in the sort of like the curative and the guiding power of the unseen world. So throughout his work, whether it's the fireworks events, whether it's gunpowder paintings, He's always trying to get audiences to experience that connection and to encourage people to, because it's especially for people in the West like us, often it can be quite an alien thing. Me, right? Like I'm sort of reasonably skeptical, right? About these sort of things. But the beauty of the artworks of Psycho Chang is like, you can go to one of these explosion events and I don't care like how skeptical you are, or like whether you're a scientist or whether you're spiritual or whatever. If you are able to sit through one of these explosion events without feeling something, you might be an AI, right? You might actually not actually be human. Like you're going to be moved. You're going to feel something no matter how hard-nosed you think you might be. And so that I think is one of the most, and again, here I'm speaking from a layman's perspective, but that is what I find the most amazing about Sai's work and about his personality. So with EET, this is Sai's third or fourth NFT project. And I'm super excited, Joshua, to hear that your partner was into Sai's previous work. So Sai, what he saw, I mean, 
he doesn't need Web3, right, to like make it like the guy's operating at the very, very top level, but he saw a potential in Web3 to be able to reach people in a way that no other medium can and to be able to reach millions of people potentially. And he's very excited about that. And so what he gave us 18 months ago was a challenge. He said, like, how can we heal the world with art? That was literally his vision at the time. And so over time, as we started working with him, it sort of solidified into, look, people are very unfamiliar with practices that go back 10,000 years that people in, say, like China, India, or Japan, right? People are more familiar with this concept of being able to interact with the unseen world using oracles. So these are situations where some question might be weighing on you that's causing a rupture in you. It might be, should we launch the next meme coin, right? Or the next meme shit coin? Should I leave my job? What's going to happen if I marry this person? These kinds of things that I think that it's important, right? That we have like logic and reason, right? To be able to grapple with some of these things, but it's also not sufficient. And I think that's very well understood, particularly in the East, that just logic and reason are not sufficient and that interacting with sort of forces beyond our perception. You don't have to believe that there are forces, but if you just act as if there are, that the feedback that you can get from some of these systems that date back, again, as I say, 10,000 years or whatever, in the case of EET, it's sort of an evolution of a very, very old oracle, bringing in blockchain, bringing in AI. It can really, that's where Sai saw the potential, right? And sort of like help people heal it when they're trying to deal with uncertainty. So I'll pause there because I know there's sort of like a lot of concepts in there. It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, what I'm gathering in summary with everything that we were just talking about is there's the elements of rationality and there's the element of what you might call creativity, right? Or generativity in, in some way, right? And that's at play. We see that all throughout Web3. We see that just in life in general. We see that in ancient philosophical concepts like the yin yang or the Tao Te Ching or something like that. Yeah, I think these things are useful. And I love that you you pointed out rationality is something that we need to utilize and we can't ignore. And the whole like trusting your gut on questions that maybe require some statistical analysis is, <laughs> is probably not always the right answer. But yeah, you know, one of my favorites is Brian Eno, the famous musician recording engineer, had these oblique strategies cards. And it was just like, if you were stuck in the recording studio or stuck in life in general, it was just a bunch of cards and that you could flip one over and it would say something like, make it backwards or take it twice as fast or whatever. And then you could just do whatever you want with it, right? But it's kind of just to stimulate creativity. Thinking outside of the box, really, I think that's where this is all leading is we were always in need of something, as you know, Einstein said, doing the same thing over and over again can be insanity if it's not working, right? You need to find something new. How does this all connect with making it an on-chain GIF? How does this all lead to becoming a GIF-centered kind of project? Yeah. Yeah. So what we started, right? We started developing this idea, okay, we can help people by creating an Oracle. And we're actually building on top of some very, very old traditions. So there's this Oracle called the I Ching that stretches back maybe 5,000 people I don't actually know because it's sort of like emerged from prehistory. And it's a beautiful, super concise system. It basically sees life as a wave, right? Just sort of like oscillating between extremes. And what the I Ching does is it places you, it tells you like where in that wave it is. And so if that seems kind of weird, just think of like Elliott waves, right? Or think of like business cycles. Even in the West, like waves are intuitive, right? When you're at one extreme, when you're at the top of the cycle, 
you're probably going to swing back to the other side of the cycle, right? You're going to probably going to mean revert. So there's sort of an element of that in it. And the system's incredibly elegant. There are no words. It's just art. It's just like these six lines that get generated into 64 combinations. And actually, Leibniz back in whenever it was 1600 or 1700s, when he wrote his paper on binary arithmetic, on which we now base all our computation, he mentions in his paper, in his seminal paper, he mentions the I Ching. It's like just mathematically, artistically, it's just a beautiful system. So we saw opportunities to evolve. That's, and by the way, that system, has, people have been adding to that system, layers to that system for 10,000 years. And so we saw an opportunity to go like, look, it's not repackaging the I Ching because it actually turned out to be quite different, but we're being inspired by this very, very old, very, very sacred system. And we want to sort of like bring it into Web3, borrow elements from it that we think are going to resonate well in Web3. And we're going to need some medium then to express sort of like the artistic message of this and also what Psy wants to express artistically. When you come to an article, you ask a question, you're going to get an answer. And the answer that you get back is going to be a non-chain shift. It's going to be a beautiful shift. What are the alternatives to doing that, right? Could we do an SVG? And I don't know if maybe I'm getting a little bit too deep into the weeds here, but normally, right, when you see on-chain artwork, it's an SVG. So this is like, Effectively, kind of like HTML that you can tell, here's a, draw me a rectangle here, draw me a line here, make it this color so you can like human readable text. Right. But also SVG stands for scalable vector graphic, right? Which means you could make it into a movie poster, a billboard on the side of the road, or you can make it into a postage stamp. It's going to still have the same kind of integrity to the image. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. So if you go onto the EET website, you'll be able to see what we're able to generate with GIFs you see kind of like a haziness, you'll see like animation. And this is where OX Portrait couldn't make it, right? But he's on like on the artistic side, right? And it, there are basically like emotions and ideas and feelings that you can communicate with a GIF that is not really possible to do with an SVG. Because one of the big reasons that they've mentioned as we were developing this is that an SVG, as you were mentioning, Ethan, is scalable vector graphics. So you're when you expand it, you don't lose any of the resolution because it's not actually an image. It's just instructions for a machine to draw a particular image. Whereas the GIF itself, the GIF is, dates back to the very, very early days of the internet, was the first widely adopted image animation format, like back in 1996 or wherever. If you want to have an animation, it had to be a GIF. And so it's not human readable. It's compressed. You need a machine to read it. It's not going to scale when you expand it. So actually, when you do expand it, you get like these interesting properties like haziness and and this sort of thing. And also incredibly difficult to do on chain. So it's not something that you can just like whip up quickly. It took a lot of tech to actually figure out, which we're going to open source, by the way, to figure out how to do that on chain. And that combination of the expressiveness of the medium, and then also the fact that this is the very first time that this has ever been done, that really told us, look, this is like exactly what we need. Because something as what Psy and, and we feel as Momentum is putting this new oracle out that needs a medium that is sort of like lives up to uh, same as like gunpowder. If you're going to write on in the sky, write in the sky with gunpowder. If you're going to create a new oracle, create a new medium for it, release the medium to the world and also like showcase what you can do with this new medium. So, so earlier you mentioned go to the EET website. I have that as EET.ET. Is that correct? But that, is that where you would send people? Yes, that's right. Okay, perfect. 
there's more to unpack here. It's as if like, is there more? Yeah, there's more is, is the answer to every question when we talk to you about this project, because you're using an eDAO to sort of gamify ownership of the art in sort of how the revenue, where it goes. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect of the project as well? Yes. So in its most ambitious expression, Psy is serious that he wants to heal the world with art. So if we take that seriously, and this is what we were struggling with 12 months ago, if you take that seriously, that means reaching millions of people over the next X years, two, three years, whatever it might be. And so then the question is like, well, neither Canon nor Psy Studio is set up. If you're going to reach millions of people, if, as you guys probably know, you're going to need infrastructure, right? So if you think of like ENS, right, they minted like 2 million names or whatever. They've raised $40 million worth of capital. I might be getting the exact number wrong, but in that order, they've got like 30 or 40 people working on it. Same thing with like Dapper Labs with CryptoKitties. These things that are big in scale, they require big infrastructure. And even if it like, it's in like a DAO or whatever, it's centralized. So that was the, the initial motivation. Plus, also, we had been in the background working on some, because we've been in the space for a long time, and we were also skeptical of the DAO structure, in particular, skeptical about whether the DAO structure is effective in attracting the most capable people through time, as opposed to the people that are just more able to gather votes, whether it's through buying governance tokens, or whether it's through just being very effective at building big audiences and then getting them to vote as opposed to being effective at actually expanding a project. So we came up with this idea with the eDAO and the idea is, okay, how do we ensure that the most capable people for expanding the Oracle's audience and also for safeguarding the Oracle for the next 100 years, how do we ensure that always that the most capable people are in charge at any particular point of time. And so the solution we came up with was the eDAO. And the way that that works is it's a competitive on-chain game and it just continues forever. And at a very, very high level, what the way it works is you have scorekeeping. The rules are still sort of like the works, but at a very high level, if you are best able to demonstrate on-chain that you can grow the eDAO, that you can sell more of these fortunes, you're going to accumulate a higher score. And if you've got a high score, then you're more able to challenge whoever's in control of the project. You don't have to challenge them, but you're more able to. So in theory, let's say that you have like a team that's not performing well or whatever. If you actually demonstrate that you're able to sell more fortunes than anybody else, because you can't mess with the rules, they're on chain, then you're able to come and you're able to challenge them and you're able to basically snatch the control from them. Now, that would be quite an aggressive move, but that's baked. And again, you don't have to do it, but that's baked into the protocol just as a way to make sure that there's competitive pressure on whoever's at the top of the chain, but not only the competitive pressure that is directly linked to a mission that's built in for ET, which is growing this. Let's get this out. Let's put it in the hands of as many people as possible. It's interesting. Yeah. And then of course it makes us think as DAOs do, it kind of makes us think about governance in general and how we're going to approach that in the future. I mean, I can only imagine in as little as 
I don't know, at least 50 years from now, maybe less. Just different forms of governance coming on the scene here, especially with AI and all these different progress in terms of technology and kind of showing the faults and the flaws in the systems that we have at the moment. Can you provide us any insights here on the future plans here, developments for Canon? Any any upcoming features, collaborations? What's on the agenda? Yeah, sure. And sorry, Ethan, I actually forgot to mention there's probably a quick analogy for the e-down. And it's probably either Willy Wonka or Ready Player One, depending on your age group. But yeah, where instead of using kind of like the corporate system of voting for who's going to be in charge, if you remember like Ready Player One, you have the creator, I think name was James Halliday. He puts an Easter egg in this in this game and that gets everybody to compete at, to show like who's the most worthy, right? To be able to find that Easter egg with the idea of being like, if you're actually able to find that Easter egg, you're probably going to be the best place to have control of the revenue, to have control of the supply, the pricing, et cetera. So that's probably a shorthand way of explaining it, which I've done earlier. I don't know. I guess the analogy for me is finding the matzah when I was a child. And I was really good at finding the matzah, but I don't think my family wanted me to be in control of any major decisions with our Passover Seder. <laughs> that's awesome. So sorry, Ethan, there on your question for what are our future plans for Canon. The main thing, ET, we're going to get that out very, very soon. So we're talking days here. So keep your eye out for the for the announcement on that. Then we're going to need to do some work on the ET. So ET will launch. It'll still be under our control initially. So our next big piece of work is finalizing these ETAO contracts so that that governance system is in place. So then we will hand over ET to the ETAO. It'll then be in control of that ETAO. We'll see what happens, who wins or whatever. I'm super excited to see like who's going to even play, who's going to participate, who's going to win. So that's next in our roadmap. And then after that, we're going to go back to focusing on the vault, uh, which is automated mechanism that we're going to put all these 21 artworks in. And it's going to be a mechanism that allows people both probably some token thing here, tokens thing here that we need to be very careful about how we talk about, not financial advice or whatever. But it's not just about tokens. It's also the ability to, when the artworks go into the vault, the ability to actually be able to borrow those artworks out of there. So we've built a protocol to do that. And the idea is like, rather than just like putting artworks in a vault and then just like staying there stagnant, we want as many people to be able to experience these artworks from these 21 incredible artists, being able to bring it into your wallet for whatever you might want to do. Or you might just want to have it there We've been getting demand for exhibitions and shows of whatever to actually bring these artworks into your wallet, while at the same time, the ownership remaining collectively owned. So that's probably the next big thing that we're going to get through this year after we're through EET and, and the EDA. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued, or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore, because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them, and also train you in real-world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. 
<laughs> so hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Good stuff. Well, very interesting. Thanks for sharing this all with us. And of course, there's probably a ton more to share. We only have so much time today and in life. So we will roll the dice for the next segment of our session here. Let's consult the Oracle. It is Edge Quick Hitters, which happens to be a fun and quick way to get to know you a little bit better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for just a short single or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Are you ready? Oof, yeah, as ready as they'll be. Let's go. Okay, perfect. What is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life? It was a Hot Wheels. <laughs> I got some pocket money. I bought some Hot Wheels. But back when they used to be metal, which I absolutely love that feeling in the Hot Wheels. Nice. Yes. And Hot Wheels. Actually, we had a hot topic within the past few weeks about Hot Wheels releasing some new Fast and Furious NFT collection. So. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I might have to open my wallet up once again. Many decades later. Uh, very appropriate. All right. Second question. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Oh, failed attempt at selling. This is terrible. But when I was like 13 or 14, there was some tobacco that my dad brought into uh, as fertilizer. And in my naivety, I thought you can make cigarettes from them. And there was a construction next to us. So I got some paper from the printer and tried to make cigarettes from a fertilizer tobacco and then lit it just to test it and see if the product was up to scratch. And I ended up burning the whole barrel of tobacco. Apparently, it's very flammable. Wow. So this even has connections to the whole gunpowder affair that's going on today. You know, I'd never thought about it, <laughs> but I guess there's a connection there. <laughs> it all comes for a circle. Sadly, I didn't do as much with my life as I did. <laughs> I feel like in addition to the caveat, this show is not financial advice. We now have to add a new caveat to the show. Do not try this at home. Do not try this at home. Do not play with fire or fireworks. Not a good idea. And tobacco is bad for your health. So bad ideas on all angles. <laughs> and also don't look for the matzah either. Just don't. <laughs> a lot of warnings related to this show. All right. What is the most recent thing you purchased? All right. So this I'm very excited about. I very recently purchased a pickup truck and it's a Mazda. It's a BT-50. I'm absolutely in love with it. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, dinosaurs can do some walking, but eventually you get tired and you want like an extra pair of wheels. That makes sense. What is the most recent thing you sold? Oh, I sold him a lady and I regret it. I sold it because I was flipping into some other lady derivative. I've been holding them for about 12 months and I regret that and I want to buy it back. So please, I hope people fund it so I can buy it back. All right. We'll wish you the best on that. Question number five, what is your most prized possession? Okay. So here my heart says my truck, but my mind says actually my house. Because after like 10 years of working, we were able to get one. And my family has a roof over the head. No matter what happens, sort of on the DGEN side, they've got that. And that gives me peace of mind. Never say never when it comes to what happens on the DGEN side. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Oh, 
outside of the truck, I have very few material desires. It might just be, I don't know of anything that I wanted to buy. Jeez, what do I want to buy? All right, I'll just cancel your Amazon account. You should be fine. <laughs> time, but it's not real, right? But if I could buy time, I would buy another 50 years. All right. Well, we'll put you in touch with that guy. I've been seeing him all over YouTube. He's doing some protocol to like make himself younger by the day. He's like lengthening his telomeres or something. I know what I want. I want my own unfiltered AI instance. What does that mean? <laughs> Just say that one more time. You know how if you got ChatGPT or whatever, like who knows what guardrails they put on it? And it's not that I want to do anything malicious with it. It's just I want to make sure that I get the most out of it. And I want it also trained the stuff that I care about. So that's what I want. It's Sai actually did that. He's got his own AI. And when I saw that, I'm like, shit, I want my own AI. Well, I want mine too now. I mean, why not? <laughs> All right. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Struggling to find the adjective for it, but it would be sort of like the ability to step back and not be reactive. This is something that took me a long time to develop. I want to pass that on certainly to the next generation, just like before reacting, like take inputs in, right? And it doesn't always work, but I think it leads to, and this is not something I invented, right? It's just something that was taught to me. And yeah, I want to pass on the benefit of that. Beautiful. Yeah, there's probably a word for that in some language. So you're saying that moment of reflection before you take action, yeah? That space. Yes, yeah, no, there's this like bigger concept here is getting to Ethan, which is like, I don't think there is a word for it in the American lexicon, but I bet there is a word for it in another language. And like, sometimes we appreciate the merits of the English language, but it doesn't always quite say what's on our mind. There's a Viktor Frankl quote, which I heard recently. I think this is very similar, right? Between stimulus and response, there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response. In a response lies our growth and our freedom. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. He's doing the happy dance that was promised. There we go. Perfect. I'm responding here with a jiggle because that's exactly right. Victor Frankl, you can always rely on Victor Frankl to boil it down for you. Yeah, it's exactly right. I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Ethan. All right. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would it be? That's a very tough one. I don't expect it to just disappear, but I do like comfort. I just love comfort. I like hot showers. I don't know if you've heard of, what's the name of that guy, that ex-military guy, you know, very, very big. It's like the guy, the extreme responsibility. Oh, yeah. Jocko Willink, is that him? Yeah, yeah. Jocko Willink. Yeah, exactly. Jocko Willink. He gives like this rallying speech to the troops and he's going like, if you guys think that this is tough, like imagine the people at Chosin Reserve in Korea, these things that they had to go to. What you need to do is you need to take cold showers every day. And I'm like, fuck me. Nah, nah, I'm out. <laughs> you lost me there at cold showers. Like maybe try in reserve, you know, dying. Yeah, I'm scared of that. But nah, fuck, cold showers every day. Nah. <laughs> I know. That's when I always find a way to avoid too, even though I know it's good for me. And now Jocko has a whole line of products on Amazon to make life easier, even though he's telling everyone else to get on football. So yeah, yeah, I found it yesterday. It was like, Surfing, I was like, ah, Jocko finally figured out a way to extend his brand to the product world. So I thought, check it out, Amazon.com. Not an official advertiser in the show. Got this whole line of products now. Somehow I feel strangely better about that. I go like, you know what? Maybe it's not that bad. Yeah, totally. 
All right. So we hit elimination of a personality trait. Yeah, I can take a cold shower here and there, I have to say, but that's cool. All right. Question number nine is, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I'm actually in the Asia time zone. So I was actually asleep and I woke up. Not very exciting, but that's the truth. <laughs> I woke up, had some water. Can I have a coffee after this? So, oh, sorry. That was number 10. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead there, uh, Ethan. Yeah. Well, you're looking like a very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed tiny green dinosaur. So we've got that going for you. All right. Yes. Question number 10 is, what are you going to do next after the podcast? And is it coffee time? Is that the long and short of it? It's coffee time. So where I live, we've got really, really good coffee. And I'm very ashamed to say that I actually import Folgers coffee. What are you doing? From America. Because I don't know. It's kind of like the warm showers. That's what I do every morning. I just get weird looks because you go, what the hell are you doing? It's like, that. this is good stuff, guys. I don't know what they put in it. Crystals. There's a crystals, right? Something Probably about some, some like kind of crystals. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, it's not the instant stuff. It's like the ground stuff, which is still probably, you know, so you have to brew it. But I don't know what it is. I'm just hooked. The best part of waking up. Oh, not a yes. sponsor. Ethan, there's folders <laughs> in your cup. Yeah. You have to have it just for that song. Do they still even use that? That's classic 80s marketing. Man, that is classic. A hundred percent. I think that's what it was. Just watching all this stuff. There need to be more like songs about products. I feel like they stopped doing that as much these days. That Sometimes they do some like weird hip hop thing where they try to do some modern version. But yeah, we need that. Yeah. It's like double, double your refreshment. Exactly. Oh my goodness. These things. Uh, that's beautiful. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of startup. Right, next up, why don't we check in on our fun new recurring segment where we actually own and manage our own Web3 digital basketball team. Who would have thought? Um, I never thought I'd be 
be able to do stuff like this when I was a little kid. Uh, this is brought to us by Swoops. They've been a really awesome partner with us. It's a blockchain-powered basketball simulation game. Allows users to own and operate 100% unique team, enter real money contests, uh, win uh, win prizes, daily cash prizes, and, and stuff like that. So it's really cool stuff. And we've got our own team. We're moving up in the in the world. We've got some new players uh, this new season. It's it's the SSN one season instead of the SS zero season that that, that was recently ended. Um, so anything's looking up for us. And um, you know, right now we don't we don't have any decisions to share, but we're thinking about trading players because basically we got a handful of new players. They're pretty good, and we got a couple of I don't want to say duds because we're going to want to trade them. I guess. <laughs> make them look appealing in some way, but we're going to have to come up with some kind of straight uh, trade strategy. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's cool. It's cool to find out that they, that swoop is adding new features as they evolve each season of the game. So this particular season, SSN one, uh, we've got something called the gated game lobbies, which is interesting. This is uh, lobbies that limit the number of owned swoopsters can be entered into a lineup. So there's kind of three types of lobbies. One swoopster lobby, meaning you can only enter one owned swoopster, filling the rest of the lineup in with free agents. Uh, three swoopster lineups, uh, and you can that's pretty self-explanatory, and five swoopster lineups. So why are they doing this? You know, the, what's cool about this is you can get in even if you're a person who owns less than five swoopsters, get in and compete and have some balanced matchups and still have fun playing the game. And, uh, you know, this is just a reminder for anybody that's interested in owning their own basketball franchise, at least digitally for now. And maybe this is the first step into that big dream of yours. <laughs> Uh, but if you haven't taken the plunge, you you want to go to Swoop. Swoop has this free-to-play game, uh, which will get your feet wet, where you can have real MB players that you use to practice your team-building skills before diving into the full team ownership. The game is called Swoop's GM. You can think of it as kind of Wordle for NBA fans. Uh, Josh, why don't you bring up the Twitter? We'll give a little bit of a uh, of a peek at the activity of, that's going on Uh on the Twitter feed for Swoop. So as as we said, the season one is kind of just getting started. And then if you scroll down there a little bit, they put this post up here, uh, making sure people know that uh, that you get to beat these former champions in this daily GM challenge. So why don't you click on over to our team site there, Josh, and we'll walk people through the screen and also talk about what, what the heck is this? How does it work? So uh, Swoops GM, it's a daily NBA strategy game where users assemble a squad within a given salary cap to take on a challenge team that's made up of real or imagined NBA lineups. And the way it works is this is every morning they unveil a challenge team. That team could be a squad made up of the starting five of a current NBA team or a matchup of players that they've been dying to see on the floor together. And the fun just gets started there. And it's our job to build a team that defeats that starting five. So uh, like we said before, it's kind of like Wordle for NBA. And uh, there's three simple steps. So you get your challenge team unveiled 12 a.m. Pacific time. And then you build your team, which we've gotten started on. And we'll show people what's going on. And you have the salary cap, which kind of limits who you get to put on that team. And then, and then the results get released every day at uh, 5.30 Pacific time. The results are sent to the users to say who was who able to, to kind of beat the challenge team. And, uh, and, and so how this relates to the building your own team in swoops, you're getting your practice. 
So for, for those that are on the sidelines, you know, we, we welcome you to join us. You know, you go to placehoops.com and you sign up, you use the code edge of NFT. Um, but, you know, if you're not ready yet, it uses the same proprietary simulator tech as Swoops. And that means the better you become at building these successful lineups on GM, the more equipped you are to build your own winning teams on Swoops. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's check out what we're looking at here. Josh, wh what did you put together? I let you take the reins on this. Yeah, I was just showing a little bit of a glimpse of what we we're doing, uh, Ethan, in the background. But essentially, you have one sort of chance at, at like a, a, a star player with that two dollar um, salary. A little hefty, but I think Clay, <laughs> I think Clay Thomas is definitely worth it. And then we have to fill out a team around him. Um, a lot of good players to choose from. Um, my boy Al Hartford, um, Al Horford. Uh, definitely thought about picking him up, but at the end of the day, I, I like Clay Thomas as the anchor of the team. And then we got um, Cole Anthony, Camarillo Anthony, uh, Jalen Smith, and Brooke Lopez. So when you do submit, you're going to submit with your phone number, your email, and your Twitter handle. So I'll do that offline, um, and then we'll we'll see what happens. And uh, uh, hopefully, we have a chance of beating this uh, this challenge team. And uh, you know, I'm I'm excited yeah. to see what happens. Yeah, and we're being very generous here. You know, revealing our own strategy thinking. So you know, not to say <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do anything special, but yeah, the word is out on how we're putting our teams together. Um, so yeah, it's really cool stuff. You know. The, the challenge lineup today is going to be really fun and it's going to continue to be great. So if you want to get involved in this, the the, the thing you got to do right now is go over to gm.playswoops.com, right? And uh, just make sure you get over there and give it a shot. And like Josh said, just enter a few details um, to get started. Uh, so it should be pretty cool. And then, of course, if you're ready to join, go to playswoops.com and uh and get get started connect your wallet put in the the code edge of nft build your team and you can try and beat us i don't know that you are but you you, you could you could try <laughs> yep yep look for the outer edge travelers and uh game on all right <laughs> we're going on to hot topics next and we can bring on our hot topics guests here jay steinbeck and siva alvaru of why whales why whales is a platform that's boldly pushing the boundaries of Web3 evolution and innovation. I'll tell you a bit about these two fine gentlemen. So Jay is co-founder, chief exec officer, and chairman of YWells at the behest of hundreds of business professionals around the planet that were eager to learn and invest in the upcoming Web3 transition, leveraging the YPO network to transition into a Web3 community, became a full-time endeavor, Prior to YWells, Jay managed the successful sale of his family's retail empire to private equity in 2019. With over two decades of venture capital and startup experience, Jay was also one of the founding board members of Arch Grants, an annual equity-free $75,000 global startup competition in charge of building the competition selection and due diligence process. And how about Siva? Siva Avaru is the managing director at YWell Solutions. He is a veteran in Web3 advisory, monetization strategies, and technology strategy and development. He has a strong track record of helping over 30 clients realize 500 million plus in revenue, uplifts across various industries throughout his consulting career. Before YWell, Siva was an engagement leader for the advisory of practice of Advanced Technology Group. And finally, a little bit more about YWells. It embodies a community-based 
firm advancing Web3 technologies through four divisions, communities, solutions, ventures, and labs. Their ecosystem is a network of global CEOs, entrepreneurs, and executives united by the belief in the transformative potential of Web3. Siva J, welcome. You read that great. I did. Thank you. I know. I know. I'm a good reader. It was a great reading. And I apologize. We're not floating cartoon characters. So fast has that on us. Every time I do some good job reading, I literally flash back to like whatever second grade and they would bring up the thing and you had to read out loud. And I was like, I'm not bad at this. I'm doing okay. (laughs) Certainly better than me. That's why I'm not ready to raise my hand for that role. But especially the pronunciations, which I'm, I'm prone to butcher. You know, guys, as I was sort of reflecting on sort of the serendipity of how we curate this show, I couldn't help but appreciate sort of we have two sort of really innovative teams on the show that are sort of pushing the envelopes of traditional sort of concepts, right? In the case of what FAST is doing, but also in the case of YWheels and and sort of its origins from YPO, which I think is really fascinating. Maybe, Jay, you can kind of kick off this chat by telling us a little bit more about the story behind the creation of YWheels and what makes it so unique. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you guys for having us on. Big fan and really appreciate the time. So YWheels was really born from the fact that in YPO, which is the largest global business network around the world, we all have traditional businesses for the most part. And these businesses are already up and running and in some cases have tens of thousands of employees producing billions of dollars a year. In fact, I think that we are, if you add up all YPOs together, we're like the eighth largest economy on the planet. So we have certain sets of rules we have to follow. And so what was really occurring was that, look, I bought my first Bitcoin in in 2010, got really interested when Ethereum came along. And just was really kind of like, okay, there's another bull coming. Let's let's go for it in 2020. And reached out to a bunch of my YPO kind of network and said, hey, what's everyone doing in this? And there was just chaos. It was just really chaos. There was no collaboration. And the, and the reality is, is that for every meme coin or DAO or, you know, cartoon dragon, there's those of us that, that have to be KYC to AML. Like we already have existing businesses. We have to follow regulations and, and laws and deal with this on a global perspective. And so we're kind of those ones that say like, hey, we see the benefits of blockchain. We know blockchain is going to win. That's kind of a hands-down approach. How do we legally apply this to our, our current existing businesses to grow and expand our markets and our networks around the world. And so that's exactly what YWales is, is we want to learn. So we're consistently educating ourselves. We come together twice a week into private Zooms, of which we're going to talk about what we've learned and from different perspectives that are 10,000 hours. And then finally, how do we implement that for ourselves, our families, and our businesses to take advantage of everything that we're learning and doing? And that's really where Siva comes in. He's the managing director of YWales Solutions, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's designed to say, what are you doing today in the traditional world? And how can we apply blockchain and Web3 technologies to that? Yeah, it's like, obviously, you guys can't break the rules and start a fight club, but you can certainly bend the rules to sort of take full advantage of all this unique technology, right? Yeah. And I think the one thing is that there's already a lot of rules and regulations that exist. And traditionally, most people just go, hey, we're blockchain. We don't need that. That's fine. That can be some people's approach. We look and say, that's fine. We can do some amazing things on chain with smart contracts, ZK rollups, and a variety of others to, to say like, look, KYC, everything we do, we're not worried about it because the savings, the cost, the infrastructure expanse that we can do is so much worth the technology compared to running on these archaic Oracle database servers that have been running since the 80s. Yeah, it's a great approach that a lot of people need to take. And we've had various folks 
on the show here and there, like that's their key value prop of what they're doing. This is all sort of vetted very highly and like gone through the sort of legal processes and all this stuff. And it's a mix, right? I mean, I think that as we've seen throughout the past several decades, maybe even, I mean, I was just watching the great documentary, by the way, called The the Men Who Built America, which goes through, you know, you're talking about Vanderbilt and whatever, Chase and just all these guys. And, you know, throughout history, there's people kind of breaking rules before they get made. You know what I mean? And so there's sort of, in some essence, going back to that I Ching, Oracle, Divination, do new things kind of concept. Those things need to happen. But at the same time, when the laws are already there, (laughs) you might as well get to know them. Yeah. And some of the things that we deal with is like, and I'll age myself here really quickly is I implemented, you know, web one into my family's business. You know, we were a multi-state, you know, retail operation. So I had carte blanche basically put in the first email servers, teaching hundreds and hundreds of people how to use email. And I think today people can be like, what do you mean? But, but back in the day, it was very novel technology. It was, it was not well adopted initially. And so just kind of those core concepts of watching web three with like, people don't understand how to use wallets. People don't understand how to manage smart contracts and self-custody. It's the same things that we were dealing with really on in the day, which is just education and really making sure that across the board, you're using, picking and choosing the right technologies. Yeah. Siva, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about this thing about to launch. Why one? First of it's kind of many facets. Tell us about it. I'm sure listeners will find it interesting. Yeah. So why one is one of our first product identifications where we understood that there is a gap in the market today. When you think about metaverse platforms, especially from a business perspective, and mainly targeting a B2C customer base, there's not a lot of platforms that really capture the necessities of businesses to interact with one another, right? And so think about in in today's world, the tried and true conduit that still exists today, regardless of a lot of technology disruption that occurs throughout the decades, is the trade show. And so where a capability such as a metaverse capability or extended reality, right, XR capabilities really can bring some power to bear here is how do we start evolving on that current experience that most organizations know how to interact with today, which is the trade show, and how do we capitalize on that? And how do we amplify that? That's where Y1 comes in. So think about this from an analogy perspective and probably very easy to resonate amongst your users is we're essentially building an XR enablement for that trade show model where businesses can come in, integrate with one another, interact with one another, learn with one another, facilitate commerce with one another more effectively and efficiently. And one of the beauties, just as we know in crypto and Web3 today, is that there is no constraint of time, right? The minute we go virtual, 24-7 becomes a reality, right? The other things that I think a lot of these metaverse plays or metaverse platforms right now, there's two misses, actually. The first we're seeing right now Last year was really the big first entrance of major brands testing their toes in metaverse platforms. And we saw some pretty big use cases, right? DKNY, a lot of these luxury brands were really leading the forefront on this. But what was really, if we kind of summarize this, what really was happening in terms of those experiences being offered to the customers or the users isn't really anything that is pushing the boundaries of what they could experience today in real life. Right? And when we think about the core nature of metaverse, it's how do we start to push ourselves around past our physical limitations of what is our physical environment? And the second big thing here from current metaverse platforms that we understand a gap around is there's not a lot of power behind the assets that are actually being generated in these platforms. Right, So if you have 
a 3D asset, you have some sort of digital asset as a brand and you go and deploy and let's say something spatial enabled or let's say Roblox or what have you, you're confined to those walled gardens, right? And whatever you develop for one platform, you have to go and extrapolate and develop for three to four different platforms. In marketing, you know, that's pretty traditional in an omni-channel marketing experience. But here, when one of the strengths of Metaverse is interoperability, there isn't a platform today that is stressing, how do you go and de- deploy this asset across five different metaverses at the same time? And how do they connect? And how are you capturing this information back to your centralized enterprise technology stack, right? Because that's a big thing too, that I think that we have a personal thesis on is that for the next adoption event for major brands to get into Web3 has to be in a way that weaves with their current existing enterprise stacks. For the most part right now, most organizations, especially large brands, don't have the nimbleness or don't have the flexibility to go and introduce a net new capability that hasn't been vetted for longer than four months and say, we're going to go and generate and rely and build the backbone of our entire new revenue strategy on this platform that's only been live for four months. Well, pretty awesome that you guys are sort of thinking about this as one of your major projects. It makes a lot of sense to me in terms of the enterprise adoption use case. And I think, Ethan, we have a little sneak peek of what's to come here, right? Yeah, let's check out this demo video for a minute or two. Again, we may or may not include this in the podcast, but we'll definitely keep a link to it uh, as necessary. Let's check it out. And one overlay here, as you guys are watching the video live, is every partner, every logo that you will see here are legally signed commits to the platform. Very cool. So for the listener, as we're watching this, we're kind of flying through a spaceship type idea. I see a bunch of wild animals as well. (laughs) No dinosaurs. I see Jay talking to Dimitri Buterin. I see Spatial, Itoro, Solana. As you mentioned, a lot of well-known brands committed to what's going on here. Very cool. Uber Eats. Yeah, I feel like maybe upgraded version of the Starship Enterprise kind of vibe here. Yeah, part of the concept here is that the entire space can be turned over in seconds. Nothing is static except for the walls and the station. Every one of these little booths or kiosks, as we call them, is independent. They have their own smart contracts. They have their own APIs, their own really businesses in a box per se. And so we've developed all this backend technology and we've got some amazing partners that are helping us build the hooks into this. But if you've got a trade show related to, let's just say cars, Fast is, is wants to do a pickup truck convention around here and talk about nothing but pickup trucks. And then a couple hours later that ends, the kiosks are going to be around for when we shift over to a fintech conference or anything else is going to be entirely different. We can change over the space over and over and over extremely quickly and really almost on the fly, but it's a mall. No one goes to a mall when it's empty. So there's a time it opens, there's a time it closes. Everything is token gated. So we know who's there, what they're doing, where they're going. You can see there's quite a bit of integration in around the kind of immersive technologies that we have already on our desks today. Again, I think Zuckerberg really helped us understand that you don't want to force people into a VR capabilities. So whether you're in a phone, tablet, normal desktop or VR, everything just works. Yeah, beautiful. Very, very cool. And if you guys need some firework displays, I think you now know the right guy to pick up the phone and call. 
This is the closest we have right here to the dinosaurs is of ourverse. They're a fabulous partner of ours. And, and that right there, if you can see how big this is on the screen, that's a single GLB. All the animations built in, we've kind of developed our own little kind of package around how this is. So these are massive files that have to be shrunk down because you guys know that on-chain NFTs are relatively, have to be small and, and nimble. So there's a lot of tech and a lot of partners that we've worked with on this one. And what Jay highlighted there is really important, right? Well, I think one of the biggest personal purviews we have on a lot of these metaverse platforms or what's going to be a successful platform for an enterprise is it has to be infinitely scalable. It has to be infinitely nimble enough to go and deploy for a variety of use cases where the core infrastructure is not the constraint, but it's just simply what is your 3D asset. And, and oh, by the way, We've solved that also to be a self-service capability within the platform itself. So you as a customer, you don't have to have a marketing agency. We have a no-code deployment capability in here for you to go and maybe upload an asset. We can digitize it, 3D model it, render it, put it in the file format. It can be deployed. But the key thing is that it's actually connected to something. And that's the big point here, right? With Y1... It's a stress. We are a research kind of think tank community. And it's also our way to kind of push the boundaries of a lot of the platforms that are out there today. And one of our big things is when you're deploying a 3D asset that is going to become brand IP, brand longevity, there has to be some sort of real world connectivity here. So every 3D asset here has to have some sort of infrastructure pipe that enables it from it just being a one-to-one representation or visualization. Let's say Uber Eats, as a 3D asset is deployed there, you have to go and if you interact with it on your Oculus or your mobile device, it has to go and launch the platform. You read its app right away. You can do direct fulfillment from the platform, right? That's something that we're not seeing. A lot of things happen from a metaverse capability right now. So much is stressed on the visualizations. Yeah, as you mentioned it up front, I was thinking about, you mentioned like the trade shows, like one of these classic things going on and made me think about Columbian Exhibition, the World's Fair, right? I love that this kind of feels like it's like the next evolution of that stuff. Two guys from St. Louis, the 1904 World's Fair is considered one of the best purveyors in this space and kind of see that come bleed through here. Well, excited about everything you guys are building and the ability for IPO to be open to a broader audience. Unfortunately, we could obviously spend a lot more time diving into what you guys are doing, but great. And Siva, where do folks go to learn more about Y1? Yeah. So what they can do right now is go to ywhales.com. Since it is in beta, we have a contact us page. So that would be the first one. Second is they can reach out to myself or Jay here, since we are controlling kind of who is allowed in or out. And the third is also our head of ecosystem, Abraham Michael, will post his contact information here. And he's in charge of every partner that is going to be having a presence in this space. And we'll have all that contact details here for you guys. Exciting stuff, guys. Appreciate you popping by and telling us a little bit more about what's going on in your world. Right. And also, you can catch Josh and I on your guys' show as well. So, been out for that. Yeah, we had you both on our show, and it's great to uh, to to have some cross pollination here. So excited! And thank you guys for having us. Lots of fun. All right, guys. Well, we'll catch you on the flip side quite a bit. I'm sure lots to talk about and collaborate on. See you around. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. And on to our next segment. And next up, we will have our shout out. I understand you might have a couple of generative artists that might deserve a little bit of extra attention that you wanted to shout out. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's three people I want to quickly give a shout out to. So the first two, they're generative on-chain artists. So the art that they're doing is on-chain, no external dependencies. 
we've been obviously pushing the boundaries a lot. They've been pushing the boundaries from maybe 2020, 2019. Hack was very early to recognizing these guys and going like, look, a lot of stuff that we're doing, these guys have been pushing the boundaries. So those two people are Nahiko and the other person is OXG, both absolutely beautiful people in real life, but also just incredible at pushing the boundaries and probably not well known enough. It's sort of like an artist, artist kind of thing. Like for those people that are pushing it, we look to those guys and go like, whoa, these guys are really early at some like very interesting ideas. That's two people. And then the other person is someone who just came out of the blue and has been an incredible supporter of Canon, just really understands what we're doing and also has an incredible ability to bring people together and to make people feel like they're part of a community. We don't have like a direct relationship with this person. That person is called Nevermind. So I provided that link as well. Just an incredible human being and super huge fan of ours. So be remiss not to a hat tip there to Nevermind. Beautiful. Thanks so much. All right. Well, that's kind of like how we're wrapping things up here. We'll get to our closing and outro. But before we officially wrap, we want to make sure listeners know where they can go to learn more about UFAST and Canon and the projects you're working on. Fabulous. Thanks. Yeah. So the first place I direct people to is to the EET site. So that's EET.ET. So there you'll find links to our social media. And then the other place is canon.art. That's sort of like our broader collective there. So you can follow our work there. Beautiful. And thanks for keeping those letters to remember down to a minimum. (laughs) (laughs) Tweetable domain. Yes, those are good. All right, cool. Well, we have then officially reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. And thanks to everyone for exploring with us. We do have space for more adventures on the Starship. So invite your friends, recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now. Rate us. Say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great Web3 content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you're a user.